We showed you a couple of videos this morning that begin with, and this one here about the fine print to help us set the message up for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we've been looking at this series of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, last week we answered the weird question, what is it that we're supposed to wear if we are Jesus followers, right? And we jump off of Jesus' introduction, instructions to us, to love other people who are despicable, like he loved other people when we were despicable, which was unconditionally, that's how he loved. And then the Apostle Paul built upon that instruction by telling us very specific ways that we can love other people like Jesus loved us. We should be known as Christians. It should mark us as people who are compassionate, who are kind, who are humble, humble, who are gentle, who are patient, who are forgiving. We encourage ourselves at the end of last week to kind of get up every day and kind of put those virtues on, wear a place to as you is a physical word. Uh, and uh, those of you who did that this week probably have some stories. If you've got stories, it would be so awesome if you just jot those down in the email and send them to me, Derek at e dot com. It would be fun to kind of share those stories. Today we are in the book of Mark. If you've got your Bibles or your apps and want to turn there, uh, of course you've got to memorize. You can just, you know, remember what it is, right? But I've got a pretty big challenge today. I think uh, Emily kind of alluded to it. We've got to talk about two things. One of the things is the fine print of what it means to follow Jesus. But you know there's a retention every contract. Uh, there's a, a big promise, and then there's the fine print, right? We talked about how there are a lot of advantages to following Christ. Uh, but many of you have discovered if you've been walking with Christ for a while, uh, there comes a time when following Jesus is going to cost you something. There's going to be a price to pay. And it's whether you want to pay that price or whether you don't. It determines really whether you are a real follower of Christ or just kind of like hang on. That's why we did the song by Sarah Alice this morning. Great. Following Christ is going to require some bravery at some point. By the way, give, give it a shout out to Grace for doing that. Can you see why we pray for her to be up on stage with us for a while? And I hope it becomes a habit, right? Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing we got to talk about is. I want, to, I want to share with you why I think that the only smart choice a human being can actually make is to actually decide to pay that price for following Christ. So, Mark chapter 8, it spins off of this, this fact. Jesus is walking around and he's got his disciples, but he's also got a large group of hangers on, no matter where he goes. And people then follow him around, uh, and some of them are just kind of along for the ride. They are kind of consumers, not necessarily followers of Christ. And he does a little teaching, and in this teaching that he does, he kind of opens the door for us of some, if you will, kind of really big questions about life uh, that I think are going to not only be effective on those people in that time, but also for us. And as we look at the fine print, we're going we're to see the benefits, right, of following Christ. You're going to be a better dad. You're going to be a better mom, a better parent. You're going to be a better child. You're going to be a better employee a better employer, right? A, a better friend. You're going to be a better neighbor. You're going to be a better citizen. You're going to be more honest. You're going to be more uh, forgiving. You're going to be more generous. You're going to be happier. You're going to serve with imagination and power, right? Huge benefits to following Christ. In fact, Jesus said, look, if you love on what I teach, you just follow me. You're, you're going to be like the person that built their house on a rock. And if, if you don't follow me, you're going to be like the person that builds their house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, guess which one's going to endure? Which one's not, not going to be destroyed? 
I mean, you've seen people who have faith that go through some really difficult things, really hard things, and you're kind of amazed at how well they hold up under that as they deal with uh, that issue along with their faith, and it just it just, uh, just kind of supports them. But there is some fine print about the price to pay for those benefits, and Jesus explains that to his followers and to us. So, uh, saddle up, here we go. After I pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for, in this passage, kind of explaining some of the stuff we actually experience. Because this world can be a hard world, it can be a difficult world, it can be a punishing world, it can be a spiteful world, it can be a persecuting world. Um, even though we are told to have joy and not to fear. So we pray that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see this morning, that we might be changed from our time with you, that our hearts might be your heart and that our, our minds might align with your mind, that we might actually leave here truly following you. We pray all this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says the disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? Kind of an interesting question. What's, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about it? Now, you know, I would recommend you say this to people at lunch. What are people saying about me? What's the, what's the gossip behind my back? What are people calling me when I'm not around? You, you may not want to know the answer to that. Maybe they're not saying anything. That's not even be works, right? You're just you're not even the top of the conversation. But Jesus knew that there was a whole lot of buzz concerning him and what he was up to. So he asked his followers, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, who had recently been beheaded. I find that interesting because Jesus and John the Baptist were alive at the same time, so I'm not sure why they thought he came back to John as Jesus. But anyway, some people thought that. Um, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But Jesus says, okay, 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 fine. But what about you guys? Who do you say? I am. And Peter, always the impetuous one, answers, you are the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a Jewish term. Greek term for Messiah is Christ. So if you thought Jesus' last name was actually Christ, wrong. Uh, Christ and Messiah, Hebrew and Greek, both mean the same thing in English. It means anointed one. See, Israel was waiting, 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 waiting for God to send this person, this anointed one, to save them. Peter goes, man, I know, I, I know who you are. I've seen enough to know. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the anointed one. And interestingly enough, Jesus accepts this as the correct answer. We know this because he does it correct Peter. He just says this. He warns them not to tell anybody about it. And we hear that and go, what's the deal with that? Because we thought, we thought we're, as Christians, we're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. But this is early in Jesus' ministry, right? And Jesus goes, bingo, that, that's who I am. You got it right. But shh. Not time yet for everyone else to know exactly who I am. So now that Jesus has actually revealed his true identity to his closest followers, he begins to share with them some deeper things. Hey, there's, I want you to know there's going to be a price for following me. Here's what Jesus says, verse 31. He then began to teach them, once they kind of clued out who he was, he began to teach them 
that the Son of Man, by the way, in the book of Mark, if you read the book of Mark, you'll see that uh, Jesus is often referring to himself as the Son of Man. So when it's talked about the Son of Man, it's Jesus referring to himself. That the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, but that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. And just make sure we understand what is understood. Writer of Mark says this. Jesus spoke plainly about this. No mystery, no parables, no, no, no riddles. And Peter understood exactly what he was saying. He goes, Peter grabbed him and took him aside and began to rebuke him. Anybody else find that funny? You just identified Jesus as Messiah, God from heaven, the anointed one who's going to save all the people, right? Mankind, right? There, you know. I don't like what you just said, so I'm going to rebuke, I'm going to, I'm going to rebuke you. Uh, crazy, crazy Peter. He says, look, don't, don't get all negative on us here, Jesus. Things are going pretty good right now. Look at this amazing crowd. Everywhere we go, there's a crowd. You're, you're famous, and you know, I'm kind of famous too because I get to hang around with you. And you know, all this talk about getting arrested and getting killed, that simply cannot happen to you. You, you are the Messiah. You, you've got superpowers. Remember that storm that came up? We all thought we were going to die, and you just simply said, knock it off, and the storm just ceased like that. How in the world can anybody sneak up on you and, and kill you? So no more negativity, okay? Let's go back out there in the crowd and get positive. No more of this death and dying stuff. Jesus didn't take to warm witness. He turned and he saw his disciples. And he rebuked Peter. What rebuking going on in this passage? And he said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Pretty strong rebuke, right? Gets praised for knowing who Jesus is. A minute later, get behind me, Satan. But see, Jesus explains why he is being so harsh with Peter. And, and right here in this verse, I think there's a message for us as well. Peter, your problem is you're not focused on God's concerns. You're focused on human concerns. You're, you're, you're focused on, frankly, your concerns. Can we just be honest here, Peter? You kind of enjoy following, haven't you? It's been great. I mean, you're just a fisherman. But you've got a lot of notoriety as my follower. Everybody knows who you are. But Peter, right now you're acting kind of like a consumer. Not much like a follower. So, see, consumers in this crowd out here, they're here because of what they can get out of following me. But I want no followers. And that means when I head someplace, when I go someplace, that maybe isn't all that much fun, some of them might actually cost me something and therefore cost you something. I want to be able to look around and know that you are still continuing to follow me. I'm coming down you so hard right now because you just exposed something about you. You're not really that concerned about what's going to happen to me. You're not really that concerned about what God is really up to. Your focus is just off. It's really on what might happen to you because of what might happen to me. And then Jesus decides to use this little encounter as a teaching moment, not only for his disciples, but for everybody else in the crowd. And this is kind of where the fine print of following Jesus kind of gets revealed. Okay? So then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, so, I don't know if you've been 
thinking about something else for a few minutes, but come back to that unfold, will you? Get, this is going to be important what we're going to talk about here. So check back in for just a couple minutes. We're going to have a physical, literal moment of Christ. I have a I have a conversation. And what Jesus says is absolutely very literal because it's about to happen to him literally, what he's going to talk about. He's going to be heading to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. And he's going to be crucified. And if you are following Jesus when he does that, you're following closely behind the person who gets arrested, the person who gets tried, the person who gets crucified. You might be arrested. You might be tried. You might be crucified too. And Jesus wants them to know and understand the risk that's about to happen. Now, this probably won't happen to you and me here in America. I mean, no matter how closely you follow Jesus here in America, you're probably not going to be crucified. I mean, you may have to make some difficult choices, difficult decisions. You might be challenged by following Christ, but probably nothing like these guys that Jesus is talking to right there are about to face. Uh, I say probably, because, you know, you follow the news, being a Jesus follower in Canada, you get close to being declared a hate crime. And in a growing number of places on planet Earth, Jesus' followers face death. So I'm not ruling that completely. So maybe we should just listen to what Jesus says. Here's what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now you don't think that scared them a little bit? Yeah, they were just terrified. I mean, whoever wants to be a follower of mine, Jesus says, whoever wants to be a disciple, Anyone who's not just a kind of consumer hanging out to get the free food, hanging out for the miracles, hanging out for the funny teaching, hanging out to see the irritate the religious establishment. If you're just hanging around for what's in it for you. But if you really want to be my follower, you're going to have to be willing to deny yourself. Now, now that may sound like a really big, scary theological thing, but I don't think it really is. We kind of do this all the time. Anybody been on a diet ever? You learn to deny yourself. I mean, if you, if you actually lost a pound or two, right? You're at dinner at a restaurant, right? Waiter comes up. Would you like to have some dessert? Would you like to see the dessert menu? No, I'm going to deny myself the dessert. All deny yourself means is to say no to yourself. And maybe also to the little ones at the table with you, right? To their angers. Here's something I want, but I don't think it's necessarily what's best for me. So I'm going to opt to say no to myself. I've got two options though. Number one, might be fun, might be pleasurable, might be what I really want to do. But door number two, maybe it's more beneficial, more healthy, better for me in the long run. We all kind of got that idea of what it means to deny ourselves. And Jesus says, look, there's going to be time. There's going to be, there's going to be crossroads. There's going to be decisions. There's going to be those moments where what he wants for you in following him and what you want for you are different. And then those moments you, you have to decide. Am I going to just be a consumer, a pretender, or am I going to really be a follower? And if you decide you're going to be a follower, you will have to make the choice to deny yourself. You're going to have to say no to you in order to follow Jesus. And then Jesus looks at this crowd he says, look, I don't want you to miss where this is going. I don't want to pull any punches here. I don't want you to be surprised at what's coming. 
if you follow me from this point forward, you, you better mentally scrap on the idea, the concept, that you might actually have to pick up a cross and follow me. Now, we think cross, we think jewelry. You see a picture hanging in a church or in a parent's house or something like that. Maybe you saw something about a cross in the movie, but it's really gory, but hey, it was background music playing, so it wasn't that bad. But we haven't tasted it. We haven't smelled it. We haven't seen it. And I can give you very graphic descriptions of what actually happens to a human body when it's crucified. But if I did that, there would be some of you that would have to leave this room. Because it's just too gruesome to bear. But the group said to Jesus, they see it. They heard about it. They tasted it. They seen crosses. The bodies hanging on. Because Rome did that to terrify people into submission. Horrific way to die. Jesus says, look, so much understand. If you're going to follow me from this point on, it, it may well cost you something. You're going to have to deny yourself. Now, you can imagine the reaction, right? It's been fun and games up to this point. Been food and healings and what a lot of frivolity. It's been awesome. They're scared to death. And some of the people in the crowd, not a whole lot like us, probably. I think this is about where we get you at you. Jesus. This is where I say, this has all been fun. This whole miracle thing. You healed my mother in law. I had some mixed feelings about that, but it was a miracle, so okay. You fed everybody? And then there's that walk on the water. I think that was pretty cool too. It's been awesome. But now you're telling me it's going to cost me something? I'm not so sure if the following is going to be worth it from now on. So I think I'm headbound. And Jesus knows people. He knows our hearts. Do their hearts? He knows your hearts. He knows my heart. He knows this concept of denying ourselves scarcity to death. I mean, you're a high school student. You're a college student. You know, you look at it, you get your whole life ahead of you. You're thinking, maybe I should just bag this Jesus thing. I mean, I believe in him and all that stuff. But maybe I'll just bag the following part until I'm like 60 or 70. Because once I'm 70, my life is basically over. I'm not going to get into any trouble when I'm 70. I'm not going to be able to do anything anyway. 70, and get me in the first 50 or 60 years. Then I can do the Jesus thing at the end, be okay. So I'll be on this way later. So he's looking at this crowd who are a lot like us. And I think, I don't know, Jesus, maybe you could have told us about the fine print way up front. And then Jesus says, okay, before you leave, maybe while you're packing up, let me just share something with you. Before you get all freaked out, before you get too worried, let me just, let me just put the invitation to follow me in kind of a different context for you. And what Jesus does next is absolutely brilliant. Listen to what he says in this crowd that's now worried and terrified and not so sure they want to follow this Jesus. Not sure that it's worth it. Here's what he says. For whoever wants to save their life. Okay, you got my attention. Whoever wants to save their life, my hand goes up. Now, I'm in that crowd. I'd like to save my life. I'm not looking at going to the cross. I'd love my life to be saved. So I can save your life? Sure. When our hands all go up, Save your life, don't you? Isn't that why you exercise? Or at least why you know you should? Isn't that why you try to eat healthy? Isn't that why you take vitamins? Isn't that why you get the flu shot? 
See, this is really because Jesus has just said something that everyone in the audience is going, oh, okay, okay, now, now you're talking something I can get into. Yes, I would like to save my life. Here's what he goes on and says. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That sounds good. No matter how good I eat, no matter how much I exercise, no matter whether I get the flu shot or don't, no matter how much filtered water I actually drink, no matter how many bad habits I break, no matter how hard I work to save my life, there's going to come a day when I'm going to lose it. Okay, Jesus, a little greedy, go ahead. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save them. Gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone, for salvation, forgiveness of sins, and life eternal. Okay, whoever chooses to follow me, and in the process, loses their life, which you are going to lose anyway. Right? Whoever chooses to follow me, and then loses stuff, which they're going to die and leave behind anyway. Loses that relationship, which they're going to die and leave anyway. Loses anything that they sort of value in life. Or the stuff that they look at in life and they go, this is what my life is all about. If they lose all that, Jesus says, look, anyone who loses the stuff that they consider what is life here, as they choose him, is going to save their life. Because they're going to lose that stuff anyway. So Jesus, yeah, what, what are you saying? Okay, I'm, Jesus says, look, I know I'm scared of your death. But I just want you to know the end game. But the life you are trying to save, you are going to lose. But wow, if you make the decision to follow me, and you lose your life to me, if you follow me and you lose that opportunity, if you follow me and you lose that particular relationship that maybe you shouldn't be in it to begin with, if you follow me and you lose something you consider really valuable, I just want you to, I just want you to know, you are going to lose it anyway. But if you lose it for me, by following me, if you lose because you decided to follow me, and wherever there's a fourth in the road, you said no to you and yes to me, I'm just telling you, you're actually saving your life. And what seems like a loss is really no loss at all. Because whatever it is that you are losing, you would have eventually lost anyway. I'm giving you an opportunity to lose that life with a purpose and meaning and future attached to the rest of eternity. And Jesus not even done, right? Because he then asks him this. What good is it? Seriously, what good is it for you to gain the entire world yet forfeit your soul? Forfeit means have to pay, have to give up, have to trade in, have to lose. Jesus sort of says, let's, let's just play an imaginary game. So roll this over your mind. Let's imagine that you have everything. Everything. Let's imagine that you have anyone and everyone. Let's imagine that you have every opportunity. Let's imagine that everyone on earth looks at you and thinks, she has the entire world. Would you look at him? He's got the whole world. Look where he lives. Look where he drives. Look where he travels. Look how he travels. Look who he travels with. They, that guy, her, 
that couple, they've got the entire world. And Jesus says, okay, you've got the whole world. Use your wildest imagination and fashion having the whole world and what that means for you. Whatever it looks like for you. What good is it? If you gained all that. And then at the end of your life, that you're trying to save. You've had a great life. The most awesome life imaginable. But if at the end of this incredible, enviable life, everyone else wishes they had, everyone else wishes they could get, and are jealous of you for having, what if at the end of that life that you can't hold on to anyway? What if at the end of that life you forfeited? You gave away? You traded in your Soul. Now, maybe you're a person who doesn't believe we have souls. You believe that when we die, we die, and that's it. You know, a lot of people in Jesus' Jewish community believe the same thing. There was a group called the Sadducees, and they believe that once you die, that's it. You're here for God's glory while you're alive, and then you die, and it's over. No afterlife. They actually taught there was no resurrection, no life after death. And the reason they believed that was because they looked at the Old Testament and they just didn't see a whole lot of stuff about heaven. So a bunch of people thought there was nothing. But then other Jewish leaders came along and said, Oh, yes, indeed, there is. Bible speaks to it. And then Jesus comes on and says, Hey, you guys that believe there is an afterlife, you guys have a right. And interestingly, you know that 97% of everybody in America believes that there's an afterlife of some kind. 97%, religious and non-religious, 97% of people believe there's something that goes on. Could 97% of Americans be wrong? Yes. <laughs> just so happens that they're not. Because Jesus believed in an afterlife. And that resurrection thing kind of made a difference in that. <coughs> you know that Josephus was a guy who was a, a Jewish guy, not a Christian. He was hired by the emperor to keep a chronicle of the history. If you read his chronicles, there's a little cool little passage that says, okay, there's this guy named Jesus. He was born here, he grew up, um, he said he was God, and he did a ton of miracles, and then he was uh, tried and executed and crucified and died and buried, and then he rose. Just a fact. I mean, this guy's not some religious guy trying to pitch a, pitch a, pitch a thing. He's just saying, yeah, that's what happened. Jesus came, he died, and he came back to life. Okay. Next fact. Resurrection kind of proved life after death. So use your imagination. What at the end of your most awesome life imaginable, you realize that by living this incredible life, you have forfeited that thing in you, that soul that lives forever. Well, what does that mean? You forfeited. Jesus doesn't tell us here, Bible speaks to it, so people might not know at this point, you are sitting in the crowd, but they know that they know this. It's, it's probably not a good thing to forfeit the thing in you that lives forever. <laughs> right? If you knew that whatever you're doing in terms of living your life causes you to forfeit that, that's probably not a good thing. And then as you're thinking about this equation, Jesus goes on, or what would you give in exchange for your soul? He said, let me, just, let me just turn this on its head for a second and ask you to think about it this way. Let's say you're at the end of your incredibly awesome life and you have massive possessions, everything you could ever possibly have, every experience you could possibly have, 
But you're at the end of your life. And it dawns on you that you are about to enter an eternity in which you have forfeited your soul. And Jesus asks, great, great question. At that moment, at that moment, facing death imminently, what would you trade to get your soul back? What would you trade so that you didn't have to forfeit your soul? And everybody knows the answer to that question. You trade everything away at that point. You would put it all on the table. You would not negotiate. If you had to give away everything and not forfeit your soul, you say, yeah, you can have it. Here it is. Because I'm going to lose it anyway in about two days. And at that moment, Jesus answers both questions. What good is it if you gain the entire world and forfeit your soul? Answer? It's not good. And what would you give in exchange for your soul? Everything. Which Jesus' brilliant answer, his brilliant teacher says this. Will you please just look at what you've just discovered about yourself? Now, those of you who are afraid to follow me, those of you who are afraid of what you're going to have to give up by following me, you're afraid of what you're going to have to deny yourself if you follow me, you're afraid you're going to have to say no to you and yes to me, you, you've just discovered a remarkable dis thing about yourself. Here's what you discovered. That your soul is worth more to you than everything else. It's worth more than your possessions. You consider your soul of greater value, ultimately, than anyone that you may ever know, or anyone that you may ever have a relationship with. You consider your soul of such great value that, it, that there's a scenario in which you would trade all of everything that you have away in order to secure your soul. And Jesus says, that, that's a pretty remarkable, life-changing discovery you just made about yourselves. So the people in Jesus' audience who were so scared to follow him, they kind of realized, oh, oh gosh, okay, Jesus, are you, actually, are you actually telling me that even if we have to deny ourselves and follow you into Jerusalem, even if we have to deny ourselves to be your followers, whatever we give up to follow you, we're going to give it up anyway. Because we can't take anything with us. We're going to lose it all eventually. But Jesus, you're saying that we have an opportunity to give it up in such a way that it impacts our destination, and the shape of the future of our souls and our experience for all eternity? Well, Jesus, when you put it that way, this doesn't sound quite like the horrific sacrifice that you made it sound like to begin with. And Jesus would say, exactly. You're finally getting that now. If you realize that your soul is more valuable to you than anything else than anyone else, and Jesus still isn't done. Remember, these are people who are about to get up and move in a direction where their lives could be threatened. Again, it may not happen to any of us, but it's a very real thing for this audience Jesus is speaking to. So he says this, if any of you are ashamed at my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, in other words, as we go forward, from this point, someone accuses you of being my, my follower, and you go, nah, I'm just in the vicinity. I thought they were having a bazaar of some kind, I thought it was there for the food. I'd hung around for the miracles, but, but follow no way, no way. If any of you claim to be my follower, then things get a little tough, and you decide to back up, all of a sudden you're ashamed of me. It says that the Son of Man, Jesus' name for himself, will be ashamed of you. 
when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Sounds quite important to that. No, Jesus is coming back and there's going to be an accountability issue. The Bible talks about that. Some of those future things, right, that happens. But then there's this encouraging thing that happens. The guy who's in the front row listening to this whole thing that Jesus is talking about, disciples, there's one guy in particular named Peter, who's thinking, no way, I have to worry about that. I'm never going to deny Jesus. No way, no how. In fact, it's on the side, I just said so. There wasn't too long after this, in Jerusalem, a middle school girl asks, Hey, aren't you one of those Galilean dudes that was following Jesus? Peter denies ever knowing him, does it three times. Peter then remembers what Jesus just said here. And he's absolutely crushed. And you'd think, well, this would give what Jesus said, Peter must be out. Jesus doesn't forget him. And Peter spends the rest of his life totally unashamed of being a follower of Christ. And Peter ends up dying for what he says he saw, a resurrected Savior. So what is the moral of this whole story? It's two things. Salvation is free. Salvation costs you nothing. You become a child of God by placing your faith in Christ, and it costs you nothing. Because at the cross, Christ paid the price for your salvation, right? Salvation, becoming a Christian, becoming a member of the household of God, through Christ, absolutely free. Cannot do anything to earn, cost nothing. But following Christ will cost you something. And this is because people who decide to follow Christ, with their faith in Jesus, they actually follow Christ. And following Christ in this life, Jesus says in this sinful and adulterous generation, it's going to end up costing you something. At various points in this journey of following Christ, there's going to be a conflict, a conflict of interests, where you're going to have a decision and decisions to make. And in those moments, you will know that those are the moments that we're talking about today. Because the thing that you feel that you need to do or stop doing is going to feel like a moral imperative. Something following Jesus you need to do or stop doing. It's not something that maybe everybody else has to stop doing or start doing or change. Only something that everybody else needs to do at that moment. It's going to be that between you and your Savior. There's a conversation going on. Something needs to be done or stop doing. There'll be that thing inside of you. Your conscience comes alive and you're just going to know. If I'm going to seriously follow Jesus, I just can't go there. I just can't participate in that. Or I've got to stop doing this or start doing that. It's maybe you need to stay. Maybe you need to leave to keep following Jesus. Maybe it's means you need to take that job. Or maybe you need to change jobs to continue following Jesus. Maybe you've got to turn down that promotion. Or maybe you've got to take that promotion to continue following Jesus. Maybe it's not to date him or to end it with her to keep following him. Jesus. All those decisions will probably fly in the face of what you want. Unless what you really want is to follow Jesus. But you're going to know in those moments that to follow Him means you must do or stop doing or move in this particular direction. And each moment determines whether you are a genuine Jesus follower or not. So you, you just need to expect 
The problem is, from this point forward, it's going to actually cost you something. It could feel a little bit like a death. Because in some cases, the thing that you're being told to stop doing or start doing is going to be kind of part of your dream. The thing that you want is kind of part of your dream for yourself. That's because following Jesus means that you are committed to God's dream. You've always dreamed of this. But then you get to the point, you realize, wow, I follow Jesus. I've got to kind of die to that dream because God's got something better than he's dreaming for me. And I mean, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, you will not follow Jesus. And the longer these going to be defining moments for you. Because if you decide to say no to you and yes to Christ, will discover something that you cannot discover any other way. You will discover whose you really are. You will discover that you're not just a consumer, that you're actually a follower. As difficult as it is, and as agonizing as it might be, as emotional as it might be, I guess you wish that you guys had those moments. Because, because that first moment that you experience it and other moments like it, you will be changed. You'll never be the same. Now, the good news is this. You do not have to sit around and worry about those moments. Because when the moment comes, you're going to know. If you've been following Jesus, you'll know those moments. And you're going to think, oh, oh here's, that, here's that thing that Wayne was talking about on 9 June 2019. I can't say yes to me and Jesus, so I'm going to have to decide. I'm going to say no to one of us. You're going to know that that's the decision you've got to make. And it's going to be a defining moment. And yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be emotional. Yes, it can feel a bit like a death. But you're about to discover who you really belong to. For some of you, maybe, you may feel like I've been looking over your shoulder the last couple of weeks. Thinking, I can't believe this. This thing going to talk about is exactly what I'm experiencing right now. I've got to decide something this week. I've got to give somebody an answer this week. I mean, the text is on my phone, the email is in my inbox. I haven't responded yet. There's a situation I've got to deal with pretty soon. And I'm torn because my conscience is bothering me a little bit. I know that following Jesus, I need to move in this direction. And it's really hard and challenging for you to make that call. Somebody say something to you. Since we just acknowledged that you and I value our souls more than anything else in this world, and since it can't be a coincidence that we're actually talking about this today, and since God has proven so faithful to you in the past, maybe it's just time to decide, however hard it might be, follow Jesus through this moment and this decision. Just follow Decide to do it. Listen, in the future, this moment you're dealing with, this decision you have to make, it's just going to be a story that you tell. Seriously, that's all it is. That's all it'll be. It'll be, I was a Christian. I was following Jesus, best I knew how. And then there was this thing that popped up. And I had this decision I had to make. So down the road, when you're telling that story to your kids, or your grandkids, or your friends, what story do you want to tell? story you want to tell? The story where you said no to you and yes to Jesus? And prove to yourself that you're actually a follower of Christ? Or the story where you said yes to you and no to Jesus?
and prove that you're kind of just pretending. What story do you want to be yours? One last thing. In the crowd that day, in front of Jesus, each crowd, told tons of people. Do you know what happened to the people who on that day said, nah, this is just too much to ask. What happened to them? Do you know? I don't know. I bet. On the other side of the resurrected Jesus, however, and with seeing what Jesus is doing in people, with eternity hanging in the balance, I'll bet you this. Later on, I bet they would wish they could go back to that moment and give everything away to be able to say yes to you. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Jesus, eventually it will cost you something. But refusing to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. Let's pray.